Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series and Podcast. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Brenda Schaefer, a senior advisor at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, join us to discuss Exposing the Persian Empire. Professor Schaefer will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Dr. Brenda, Brenda Schaefer. Sorry, you're muted still. Hello, thank you for joining uh, this, this discussion. So, you know, time and time again, um, we look at foreign countries and often um, have the image that the, the ruling regimes, ruling governments try to portray. So for instance, um, you know, through the period, most of the Soviet period, US media referred to uh, the people in the Soviet Union as the Russians. We thought that pretty much recification of the minorities was, was a fact. Um, we had Yugoslavia suddenly very surprised when it breaks up and see that it, you know, there are individual countries, communities, uh, cleavages in the country. Uh, Syria, again, a surprise, um, you know, how, how uh, polarized most of this, the society is. And the case is clearly also with the case of Iran, which many refer to as Persians, uh, think of it as Persian music, Persian culture. Um, but Iran itself is a multi-ethnic country where at least 50%, at least 50% of the population is non-Persian uh, uh, minorities. Um, not only are the non-Persian, not only is there a huge population that isn't um, ethnically Persian, but most of the ethnic minorities are concentrated in Iran's border provinces. And most of them have co-ties, co-ethnic ties to members of their group across the border. So for instance, you have uh, most of Northwest Iran populated by ethnic Azerbaijanis over the border, you have Azerbaijan, you have Kurds in most also in Northwest, uh, uh, Northwest and Central West uh, uh, Iran over the border Kurds uh, in, in Iraq and, and in Turkey. So this is clear on every, you know, every border uh, of Iran. And what I learned through looking at even Iranian data that was used in this study, um, Iran is more than Persia, which was published by FDD. And it's a part of a forthcoming book that I'm, that I'm researching right now on, on ethnic minorities in Iran. Not only are there as over half the population of Iran ethnic minorities, but 40%, 40% in internal Iranian polling data, you know, government data claim to not be uh, fully uh, fluent in Persian. So, you know, this is a, a tremendous numbers and probably the real numbers are higher because often people in polls are a bit ashamed, you know, to say something negative about themselves. So it's probably close to the population of Iran isn't even Persian, uh, isn't even fluent in Persian. Um, in this report, I, actually, Dr. Pipes and I, for years, we've been discussing and discussing also in, in uh, different publications, the numbers of ethnic minorities in Iran. And, and, and unfortunately, most of Western scholarship has relied on the CIA fact, of old versions of the CIA fact book that even the CIA fact book stopped publishing these numbers because they, they didn't have a clear picture. But people still referred to the old ones, which were somewhat uh, debunked. Um, but I decided, you know, as a baseline, let's start with Iranian government internal data on the ethnic minorities, because we know for at, at mid, this is likely going to be actually um, would strengthen the Persian, you know, the Persian numbers, the, the or the amount of uh, uh, assimilation, right, and not the opposite. 
Um, and what I found by looking at Iranian government data itself, that they say that they themselves report that over half of the population of Iran is, is the ethnic minorities. So they know they, they have a problem. They know they have this issue. Um, Iran's ethnic minorities inhabit Iran's poorest provinces and Iran's growing environmental challenges, which, which are life-threatening environmental challenges, whether it's, it's um, toxic waste from the oil and gas industry in Khuzestan region, which is populated mainly by Awazi uh, Arabs, uh, whether it's water shortages you know, throughout Iran, uh, especially affecting the Baluch and the Kurds. So these environmental health challenges disproportionately affect the ethnic minorities uh, uh, in Iran. Well, we see this, you know, this last major wave of demonstrations, 2017, that started in 2017, re-emerged in the winter 2019. You see that this was not happening mostly in Tehran and the Persian populated cities, but it was happen happening in Iran's provinces and the, it, among the ethnic uh, minorities. For instance, a, a, major, a major center of this was the Khuzestan region, which is, again, is a inhabited mainly by Arabs, by Awazis, um, and they uh, a huge number of deaths uh, and killings, you know, dur during this, uh, these protests. Um, it's kind of funny that, you know, although we're in this period in the West of ethnic politics and social media is really, you know, facilitating connection between ethnic groups that don't necessarily share territory or share states, for some reason, researchers think that this wave is going to somehow not affect Iran, you know, but it's exact opposite, you know, that I think you're seeing greater ethnic awareness uh, among the younger generation, even ones that are more proficient in Persian than their parents and grandparents, but maybe because they're more higher education level and aware of, you know, interacting with modern technology, I think you're seeing a, a, an increased wave of ethnic identity, you know, again, not dissimilar to something that we're seeing in the West uh, uh, right now. Um, and also uh, foreign television. So most the ethnic minorities don't watch Persian language television, whether it's whether it's uh, the regime's television or whether it's opposition television or even U.S. Uh, you know sponsored Voice of America television. They're watching television in their own languages. So this means Azerbaijanis are watching Turkish television and television from the Republic of Azerbaijan and also a uh, uh, foreign uh, Azerbaijani language TV station based in Chicago. Kurds are watching television made in Kurdish, mainly from Europe and from Iraqi Kurdistan. Um, Arabs are watching television that's from the Gulf or, or Arabic language uh, uh, broadcasts that, that are, that are commercial broadcasts from, from uh, the US, from, from Europe, but they're not watching Iranian television. And again, they're not watching even the Iranian opposition uh, uh, television. In some of the regions, uh, ethnically uh, populated regions, uh, since, since uh, late 2017, the, the anti-regime activities entered a new stage, Viol uh, you know, a, vi a violent uh, period, we see this with uh, uh, in Khuzestan, uh, among the Kurds, among the Baluch, where you know a really military attacks um, on IRGC, on Iranian, uh, on, on Iranian, um, uh, Iranian, Iranian military, uh, a, a, you know, completely new uh, stage. A big question will actually be the attitudes of the uh, Azerbaijani community in Iran. 
Um, one, they're the largest ethnic group, uh, ethnic minority outside the Persians, probably about a third of the population. Actually, because they're relatively to the other groups, to groups like Kurds, Baluch, and uh, Arabs, they're relatively uh, integrated into the regime. But even here, it seems to be a shift. And this is something akin to, you know, Ukraine suddenly pulling out of the, you know, the, the, the Soviet Union, right? So something that was maybe a cornerstone of Russia's control over the Soviet space, like Ukraine, suddenly we might be seeing some changes uh, with the Azerbaijani community in Iran. And this, I believe, was affected by the 2020 war between Armenia and, and, and uh, Azerbaijan, where Iran clearly supported Armenia. Um, all the military equipment that came from Russia, Russia doesn't share a border with, our, with its ally Armenia. So all the military equipment supplied during the war from Russia to Armenia went through Iranian ports, Anzali, and then taken by trucks into the uh, war zone into, in, and into Armenia or by planes. And you could really see it clearly, you know, all the Russian flights over the Caspian, you know, into Iran and then over, over to, to Armenia. So, cause they couldn't overfly Georgia or, or obviously Azerbaijan and Georgia um, in, in, into, um, into Armenia. So Iran was integral to this, uh, to this war and Iranian Azerbaijanis saw this. And it, I think this is somewhat of a, a break for many of them with, with the ruling uh, regime. Um, Iran goes to great lengths to suppress its ethnic minorities. Not only are they not allowed to use the languages in schools and government offices, um, but they even recently started to invade the language use in the homes. So now uh, kids, when they arrive at first grade in Iran, they're tested for their Persian proficiency. If it's not high enough, they're sent to special education as either kids with hearing problems or um, you know, intelle intellectually challenged. Um, you know, considered children with disabilities versus kids that just don't speak Persian. So this is forcing a lot of parents to start teaching children Persian at home before they enter school. And that's, you know, a real evasion of the government, you know, in, into the, the home. Um, Iran's ethnic minorities have the highest weight rates of incarceration, of judicial execution. Um, highest are the Kurds. Also high in the numbers are, are Awazis and Baluch, but, but all the ethnic uh, minorities. Um, so I hope US government will start taking a, more of an interest in this issue. Um, the ethnic minorities, all the representatives have called to boycott the, the June 18th elections. And I think that will be a big test. I, I envision there's gonna be a lot of anti-regime activity after these elections, especially if they're boycotted. And if we're concerned about, you know, it's very interesting, like a lot of the human rights organizations follow the status of religious minorities in Iran. I, I, of course, I wish them well and it's important, but they're 1% of the population of Iran. The ethnic minorities are over 50%. The real human rights issue is what's happening to the um, ethnic minorities. So I'm happy to open this up to discussion and to questions. And thanks, thank you again to the Middle East Forum for hosting this. Wonderful, thank you so much. So the first question we have in is, what are the differences and similarities between the Arabs and the Iranians? Um, so, minorities, yeah. sorry. So, so um, yeah, the, the, the Arabs in Iran, which call themselves Awazis, uh, the, the specific group, they number about five, five million. Most of them are, are focused in the Khuzestan province and Bandar Abbas area. So these are two really critically strategic areas of Iran for both oil production, 
at gas and oil pipeline junctures, major roads, major ports. So the Iranian data, I believe, really under, under um, reports how many ethnic Arabs they have in the country because they, uh, because they sit at these strategic junctures. And you know, you would be surprised that you know, you would think in the Islamic Republic there would be some kind of you know respect for the language of the Quran, for the language of the Prophet, um, but but actually. Um, you know, Iranian Arabs are not allowed to educate their children in the Arabic language. They can study Arabic language as a foreign language, um, and that that you have throughout schools in Iran, but it's, it can't be a language of instruction. And if kids, you know, speak to the teacher in Arabic, who was probably also native Arabic speaker herself, um, you know, they're hit, they're punished, you know, and and. Uh, um, if you look at, for instance, all the oil and gas industries in Khuzestan, um, all the top, you know, white collar jobs go to Persians, which are, which are some, there's even like settler programs to bring in non-Arabs to the region. And what the Arab gets are the uh, low paying jobs, the pollution, the toxic waste, uh, you know, from the, from this industry, huge, awful health consequences to the, to this uh, population in, in Iran. Thank you. From Sandro Bellastrino. Uh, do ethnic minorities vote in Iran? You were just talking about a boycott. Can you explain that a little further? So, yeah, so the elect, you know, June 18th is the presidential elections um, and leadership of all the ethnic groups, so all of them, Kur Kurds, Azerbaijanis, Arabs, uh, uh, Baluch, I believe even the northerners the, from Gilan, Mazaran, have called to, to uh, boycott the elections. So, um, and this is in addition to the main, mainstream, you know, pro-democracy or anti-regime elements and the, the abroad that have called for the boycott. So I think it'll be a very interesting test if we see that the numbers are lower uh, participation of the, among the ethnic minorities than, than in the center. And I, of course, the regime doesn't always report accurate um, numbers, but um, I think they're going to have a harder time in, in the provinces than in Tehran itself. Thank you. So going back to basics, what exactly does the, the high ethnic uh, minority population mean for Iran and the regime? Baha'i? The high ethnic minority population. Right. right. So that, you know, that's always the question, right? So it, that's a very important question that the fact that people are ethnic minorities doesn't necessarily mean that Iran has a, has a political problem, right? A lot of countries are multi-ethnic and then that that's actually you know a very positive aspect of the very you know a, a beautiful aspect of, of, the, of these countries um, like like the, the the United States for instance um, but in Iran first thing they suppress the minorities it's you know they don't it's not there's not it's not like Canada Belgium Switzerland or where you know where they're where ethnic minorities can use their languages can teach their children their languages they mock the ethnic minority. So like, if you look at Iranian television and the study that I that if this was a trigger to our conversation today, if you look at the, you know, the, the simply mocking the ethnic minorities in the Iranian media, somehow it's funny to, you know, um, call a, an, an a Iranian Azerbaijani a cockroach or say, say that their kids use toilet brushes to brush their teeth. And, you know, all, the, all these different examples uh, that are in the, in, in the study. Um, and, and uh, um, you know that the, the regime is difficult for everyone, right? The economic situation is difficult, the corruption there is difficult, the lack of freedom, right? But add to that, that you don't even get to use your own language and that you're suppressed as an ethnic minority, then, and you're poorer than the, center, the Persian center. 
and you have great environmental challenges and, and degradation, and you go across the border, so a Kurd can go from Iran to Iraqi Kurdistan and see a better situation, see his language can be used, an Azerbaijani can go from Tabriz to, in Iran to Baku, go have a good time, see people living well. Um, and I think these, when they compare their situation with co-ethnics in neighboring states, this really does affect the stability of Iran. Understood, thank you. From Jerry Danzig, uh, the Baha'is, how do they fit in? Yeah, so religious minority outside of my uh, expertise, I, I, I work on the ethnic groups, but thank you. Muted. Of course. Uh, so JR Pride asks, in your reference to a Persian language, is that Farsi? Right. Same. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. And what is the nature of the Iranian people? Are they liberal or conservatives from Kerry? Uh, uh, difficult to say. I think, you know, in the, um, and, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a huge country with a lot of different, um, you know, people, you know, maybe it's my uh, American education prejudice, but I think when religion and state go together, it's not only bad for the state, it's bad for religion, generally turns people away from religion because, you know, politics is about competition over resources. Religion's supposed to be about spirit, not about material goods when you put those together. So I think probably, over 40 years of Islamic Republic rule has done a lot to actually hurt uh, the connection to, to religion uh, uh, in, in Iran. So, um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a huge country with a lot of very different, very different people and different attitudes. Along those lines, Wayne Lowe asks, does Islam act as a unifying factor among the minorities with the Persians? Right. Yeah, I think it doesn't, at least anymore. They, I mean, um, I think that you know, the, the previous regime, the Shah regime, Pahlavi regime uh, was very Persian centric. You could even say Persian centrist, you know, the whole monarchy ideas about the great Persian na nation, right? And ethnic minorities didn't like this. They suffered from them, but it was, but it was, there was some consistency in the ideology, right? That it was about us, you know, about a specific ethnic group and, and, its, and its language and its culture. But when the Islamic Republic, which was supposed to be, you know, Islam is a universalist religion, it, it isn't centered on one ethnic group. When it was supposed to be about Islam, you know, maybe there were some that thought it would give, it would give more opportunity for the ethnic minorities, like what, you know, why can't they use their language? If, you know, they're Muslims, these languages are, are not, you know, don't have a hierarchy of the Persian somehow is, is above it. And I think for some, in a certain extent, the Islamic Republic it, still continuing this Persian-centric ideology was even more difficult for many of the ethnic minorities. So no, I don't think it's a glue um, and, anymore. And also, you know, the minorities can see through this. So let's take, for instance, the Azerbaijanis, a third of the population, many of them during this last war between Armenia and Azerbaijan, they felt a great, you know, identification with, um, with Azerbaijan, they'd go to the border areas, the, the battle zone really borders where they live and they cheer the Azerbaijani soldiers and talk to them and throw, you know, throw candies to them. And when they know their country was supporting Armenia who's Christian against Azerbaijani Shia, they know this isn't an Islamic Republic, you know, or, or Iran, well, while well, China is suppressing, you know, million Uyghur Muslims, 
uh, in the most, I mean, the most oppressive ways, hurting women, forcing sterilization, abortion on Muslim, Muslim women, um, and to say that this is an Islamic Republic. So people know that this is just uh, uh, rhetoric. So I, I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a glue, you know, a glue anymore. I mean, they saw like during, during the, the um, this war between Armenia and Azerbaijan, Azerbaijanis saw that the arms going to Christians are coming through Iran, right? So they, um, they know that Iran is, that Islam is just rhetoric for this regime. Thank you. Oh, by the way, just to add here that this Israel's support for Azerbaijan in this last war, in this last last year, that was quite evident, you know, public, um, and it actually bought Israel a lot of uh, respect uh, or even friendship inside Iran. You know, from from uh, again, ethnic Azerbaijanis are a third of the population of Iran. Thank you, and I'm sure this. Uh could take up an entire webinar all in itself, but could you explain why Iran backed Armenia uh, despite having one third population of ethnic Azerbaijanis? Right. So um, two ma major reasons, um, you know, from the beginning of the Soviet breakup, uh, instead of saying, if you're a real Islamic Republic saying, wow, this is an opportunity, six new Muslim majority countries, Central Asia and Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan even populated by Shia Muslims. This is a great opportunity to extend Islam and, and Muslim freedom, right? But they, from the beginning, were afraid of the implications for their own domestic stability. And they even said this quite openly in, in Iranian press. And you know, instead of celebrating the Soviet breakup, they were very ner nervous about it. And they, you know, having a, a big like Turkmen, not big, but about two to three million Turkmen in northern Iran over the border from the. Turkmenistan, a new country, having um, about 28 million Azerbaijanis and over the border Republic of Azerbaijan, they were very nervous that this would cause some sort of ir irredentist uh, um, developments in, in, inside Iran. Um, and the, and uh, so there, so when this war broke out between Armenia and Azerbaijan in the early 90s, they right away sided with uh, Armenia. Um, and it's again pure real politics, just in order to keep Azerbaijan involved in a war and not able to, you know, reach out to the community uh, in Iran. Um, and then basically, the first war it was completely sustained by supplies from Iran, and the second, you know, Russian supplies. In the second war, so it's really hard to call yourself the Islamic Republic. I mean, like when when Iran talks about its support for Palestinians being about Islam, it really doesn't go together with its support for. You know, uh, there. I mean, there are many more Azerbaijani refugees than Palestinian, re you know, refugees from the the 1948 war, um, and uh, they had no concern for these refugees that are alive today. Shia. Um, um, you know, it was just it was interesting today. I just saw on social media that. Iranian ambassador to um, Azerbaijan was attacking the Israeli ambassador to to Azerbaijan for talking about talking about the war in Gaza, um, and I was just uh, uh, you know that the Israeli ambassador to Azerbaijan is such a George ambassador George Dick such a popular personality who actually brought in like even human eyes donated from Israelis uh, with uh, organ donors in in Israel to. Were, were, were put in the return site to Azerbaijani soldiers, uh, you know, in, in Azerbaijan, Israeli doctors. Um, I don't know, he's gonna have a hard case out, <laughs> out doing some, you know, someone who had actually has been so active in uh, um, really helping the society there. 
Thank you for that explanation. Uh, Stephen Orlo asks, are there any restrictions upon the various minorities as far as entry to higher education, the professions, or military and security services? Uh-huh. That's a good question. Well, first thing, there's the language barrier. So like, for instance, teachers have to be not only be proficient in Persian, they have to have, they can't have strong accents. So, so this bars a lot, you know, it doesn't say, well, a Kurdish woman can't, per, person can't be a teacher or a Baluch can't be a teacher, but if their language is, is accented, their, the Ministry of Education is not supposed to, to hire them. Um, and so there's more of a push to put, per, you know, native Persians, uh, even in, as teachers in the minority uh, uh, areas. Um, yeah, I mean, you find, well, the, the, some of the ethnic groups, like for instance, there's never been a Sunni governor in, in, in Iran um, in, and under the Islamic Republic. So let's say for Baluch, for most of the Kurds, for half of the Arabs, which are Sunnis, they're, they're barred from being, not by law, but by practice from being uh, governors. Um, and um, you have in the security services, the army, you have, you know, Maybe some of the ethnic minorities are pretty are less trusted. Azerbaijanis are are somewhat you know more trusted than um, the other. They're they're more integrated in the regime. Um, but uh, um, you know definitely the language issue. If you think that people you know they have to make it up in a system where it's not in their native language, it's uh, it's a it's a clear barrier. Understood. Thank you. From Andrew Rosemarine, uh, do any of the minorities have pro-US, pro-British, or pro-Israeli contingents? So that's a great uh, question. So I encourage you, and maybe I can share through uh, the Middle East Forum, um, the uh, Gunaz TV in, in Chicago, that's broadcast from Chicago. It broadcasts into Iran in the ethnic minority languages and, and also in Persian. And they, they do these call-in shows that are inter interactive. And it's, uh, it's very interesting, a couple of the shows in the last couple of weeks. So these are people in Iran calling in, taking their huge personal risks. It's clear these calls are monitored. And for instance, they did one show on the US sanctions on Iran. And the, the Biden administration is saying that we need to remove sanctions for humanitarian reasons. We shouldn't punish the people of Iran, right? And you have people, 50 callers that called in and said, leave the sanctions on. All the money is only gonna go to the regime. Even if, we, even if it was gonna go to us, we prefer to suffer and get rid of this regime than have the sanctions removed. Um, uh, on, there was one show about Israel, what are the attitudes towards Israel, and uh, uh, dozens of callers calling in and saying that we don't, you know, accept the regime's enmity towards, towards Israel, and uh, the ones that are Azerbaijanis were, were saying openly, again, on open phone lines to a TV station that, uh, um, you know, that they know that, that Israel helps Azerbaijan while Iran, you know, helps their enemies, and uh, um, so yeah, I think the ethnic minorities um, definitely have different attitudes and, and probably all of the Iranians, a lot of Iranians, regardless of ethnic minorities, actually would prefer the sanctions to stay on. You know, this is just propaganda of the pro-regime lobby in the, in the United States and uh, um, they prefer sanctions. You know, just like Nelson Mandela called for sanctions to stay on, you know, and not, and, and even if it hurt the people of South Africa on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Wonderful, thank you. Uh, Jerry Weiner asks, do ethnic minorities tend to align cooperatively in opposition to the 50% who control the power or are they disorganized as individual groups? Uh-huh. Okay, Jerry, that's a really important question and I'll give two, two parts to it. So inside Iran, you know, the, I mean, one, in many of the areas, uh, the ethnic minority areas are, are mixed. So like, let's say areas where Azerbaijanis and Kurds live, uh, Arabs and Lures live. So yes, there is somewhat of this competition between the groups and not always cooperation. The regime also is very successful in, in playing this, this, the groups against each other. Um, in my study, I talked with people about the policing. And so for instance, in the Kurdish areas, they generally use police that are ethnic Azerbaijani so that the uh, minorities think of, not as the bad Persian cop, but the bad you know, Azerbaijani cop. Um, they, 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 uh, the governors, like for instance, in the Ahwaz area are usually lures and not Persians. So that again, like you, if you're upset with what the regime's doing, you're upset against the lure and not the, not the Persian. So they, they try to, uh, really play the groups against each other and some happens on their own, you know, without the regime playing it. A bigger problem of contention is that most of the, what we would call the mainstream, you know, opposition, which many of you, you know, friends and colleagues in the United States, uh, whether it's the monarchists or, you know, or democracy movements, um, they want democracy, they, they want democracy for Iran on, let's say, women's issues and, and, and freedom of religion, but they, very few of the groups are even willing to discuss any rights for the ethnic minorities. And I think the regime really successfully plays, you know, the opposition against the ethnic groups uh, as well and says, you know, either you stay with us or you risk losing, you know, territory. So that, you know, look at the Soviet example, you know, when Moscow didn't have its grip, Russia lost its empire. I think the Russians handled that pretty gracefully, you know, mostly the Russian population, you know, accepted the loss of empire and even some saw, some intellectual saw an, an advantage in it. Um, but I think that uh, Iranian mainstream opposition, and you can ask, you know, probably maybe we even have on, on the calls, you know, some of some colleagues, um, is not interested in granting minority rights to the ethnic minorities. I think that until this issue is solved, until the ethnic minorities and the mainstream opposition find some kind of model where everyone can have their rights fulfilled in, in a, in a meaning, minimal but meaningful way, um, I think it will, I think the, the regime will not have a united front against it. Thank you. And the last question is from Taffy Gould. What are the implications for the future of Iran? Um, you know, I think in a, uh, are the ethnic minorities going to bring the regime down? I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, especially, like I said, with this schism with the mainstream uh, opposition, but in an all out crisis, I think they could push the thing over the top. And we saw this like with the Soviet Union, the ethnic minorities didn't start the fall of the Soviet Union. They joined it and then they pushed, you know, the ball down, they pushed the snowball to, to get bigger and bigger. Um, I, I, if we look at every time in the 20th century when Tehran was weak, whether it was, you know, because of domestic revolutions, domestic challenges, the ethnic minorities rose up and asked for their rights. You know, the last time was also during the, during the Islamic revolution. Um, you know, we had these uh, real rebellions in Tabriz and Marabad, the Kurdish areas. 
and uh, uh, the ethnic minorities initially supported, or large, large numbers of them initially supported Khomeini because he had promised to grant them language rights and rights for their schools and just did a little trick, got them, you know, enticed them in. And, and you know, when the draft constitution came out, you know, boom, no, no, no language rights, no, no ethnic rights. So uh, I think in a regime crisis, this pushes things, uh, over the edge. I don't know if, if it's enough to bring down the Islamic Republic on its own. Understood, thank you. And before we go, can you just tell our viewers where we can find some more of your work? Oh, thank you. So um, this latest report, Iran is more than Persia, is on the website of the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Um, I'm currently there conducting a research project on ethnic minorities in Iran and writing a book uh, about the topic. And there's an earlier book uh, from MIT Press, Borders and Brethren, Iran and the Challenge of Azerbaijani Identity. This goes deep into the issue of the split um, Azerbaijani minority between Iran and the Republic of Azerbaijan and how this, uh, and, and how the independence of Republic of Azerbaijan affected ethnic identity uh, in Iran. And uh, so thank you so much, Stacey, for hosting us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Schaefer, for taking time to speak with us today. Uh, we've come to the close of our webinar. For our viewers and listeners, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinar offerings email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks. <laughs>